Well, hello, everyone. Angelo, how are you doing? Good, man. Good. No introduction really needed here. Um, today, I thought it would be kind of fun to explore time and, you know, whatever direct experience with that is. Before your, your last online retreat, there was a really vivid meditation that um, took place here. And uh, I thought it would be kind of fun to talk about that a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of one of my favorite subjects. At least yeah. that's how it feels right now, energetically. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, in this meditation, there was definitely like a, a clear dissolving of whatever, even the body in it. It began to feel like time is something that can be felt. Do you have any experience mm -hmm. with that at all? Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a feeling to time. There's, I think it's probably on levels. Like there, there's a, there's a, a superficial level of time that can be, it's cognitive. It can be really stressful. Actually, uh, I only have so many hours in the day. I have to get all of this done, and I only have two more hours. And then something, a small thing changes in your schedule, and you're really stressed because now all the things you were thinking about can't get done. And when that when that level dies out, or at least calms down, it's really a huge relief. You know. Um, yeah. It really is. You realize you don't have to like overtly think about time all the time to make things happen. They're just happening, you know, but there's definitely a, there, there, that can happen. And there's still a, a felt sense of time. Like you still actually believe in it. You actually believe there is something that we call time <laughs> and that even <laughs> can go away as well. Yeah, there was, it was pretty unique because it, it, I don't know. It's almost like the way we tend to perceive time through the mind is like a one dimensional linear past kind of drag dragging itself into the future. And this was something entirely different. It was almost like a spontaneous destruction and creation of all possibilities that I guess could be time. So mm. it, it, it definitely spills over into um, just all forms of reality too, I suppose. Yeah. Like it kind of felt like a, um, I'll just describe that this is always going to be conceptualized, of course, and it even came with some imagery in memory, but it was almost like these trillions of teal strings, like threads, kind of swirling in almost something like a sphere and pouring into an infinitely tiny singularity and vanishing and also simultaneously it spewing something out and having it, it was just like a repeating cycle. And yeah. out here in this distance, it was twisting and doing all sorts of chopping and it, it really difficult to put into words, but it yeah. gave a very distinct sense that anything that could be has already happened almost, but not even yeah. like in a sense of a past. It's, I don't know. I, I, I just want to hear if you've tasted anything like that and what, how you might find a creative way to put it into language. Cause I just don't, it's just not yeah. coming. <laughs> yeah. A couple of things that came up as you were talking. One is the, the, um, Okay, when when I say repeatedly like that the, these these experiences this this realization cannot be put into language, even that functions on levels. What you're talking about, it's 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 so ineffable, but paradoxically, it's so much more real than the time-bound constructs we entertain in the mind, and even even the ways that we um, uh, rightfully put together our perceptions, our, our sense perceptions of time and space and movement and action, we put those together so we can literally survive. 
But even that will collapse at some point, and it will be obvious that what's really going on um, is is just completely beyond that in in dimension, in potentiality, in impossibility, um, and it has that definitely has that quality. Gosh, all these words suck. It's not a quality, but it ha <laughs> there's something about it where it's just like you said. It's like it like collapses into a singularity and then it becomes infinite again and again and again. It has this thing of like infinite penetration into itself. Oh, I like, like infinite, that. Inf infinite penetration into itself. And also it's fractal like it's fra it's like no matter how far you zoom in, it just becomes more of itself and in more possibilities and iterations. And at the same time, at the very same time, nothing is moving at all. It's so paradoxical. Um, it, it is like yeah, the essence so, of paradox. I mean, yeah, it really that's is. what it felt like. Like yeah. there was the sense of being at the singularity, almost like the eye of a hurricane. And it mm -hmm. was that nothingness and, and can't even describe like even the idea of nothing is something. It was just yeah. nothing. Yeah. Not even like it wasn't a black space. There was nothingness. It was just frozen. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And then th there was like this turbulent outer almost disk and that just seemed like potentiality. It almost seemed like the stuff that dreams are made of or the stuff that imagination is made of. And it, it, it really started to bring about, um, you know, post meditation, some some I don't know if they were insights or just just random thoughts associated, but makes makes one wonder if we're able to actually perceive some of that turbulence of just potential all the time. And maybe that's all this is all the conceptual is is just another aspect of everything fractalized mm -hmm. from something subatomic to something so mass. I mean, it just kind of reconstructs itself in a weird way. Like now it's mm -hmm. a mole molecule and now it's something bigger and now it's a baseball and now it's this. And then it's just this infinite large thing made of itself, that mm -hmm. penetration that you're talking about. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it just doesn't come into words. No. Like not even and you close. can still feel like as you describe it, it's here. Like it's not gone anywhere. It's actually it's actually here. But I, I could say the the intensity of it definitely waxes and wanes. Um, yeah, it unpacks itself. Um, it's like DNA super coiled information or something, but it's potentiality. And it just it can uncoil and un unpack itself at, at, at will. You know, or at no will. I don't know. Um, but a couple things I wanted to point out about this with your description of it is. One is a actually a couple questions. One is, is there with this a sense of like, almost like you just want to giggle like forever? Oh my God. It was like a like laughter. A, it's like an, it's like an ecstasy, but it's a very serene sort of ecstasy. It's a quite something. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Like yeah. a, like an excitement that doesn't have that big charge to it. Yeah, exactly. But it's very fundamental to, to the most fundamental way of experiencing anything at all. It, it just feels like this giddiness of like being able to experience anything at all. So it's just a like miracle, miraculous sort of. Um, but I know every word I say can get, cause people to hang on to this stuff. And, and I, I just want to say like, don't, <laughs> don't imagine spheres and don't like, you can imagine this stuff and that's right. fine, but You're right. You're it, right. it's really a matter of relinquishment that, that sort of brings this forth. But um, the other thing I wanted to say is like, when you're describing what you're describing, I think you described it quite eloquently. Is there a sense of a perceiver there? 
are you like watching something from a distance? Are you experiencing something at, at some kind of distance or? It, it felt as if, okay, it felt as if there might've been a substance that was being simultaneously pulled apart. That was the, that was, I was the substance and put back uh, and jammed so tightly into a tight, like singularity that there was n nothing there. It, so hmm. it wasn't like watching or even necessarily feeling, but it, it felt so fundamental. Like it felt like the threads of reality. It's, I don't, I don't know. It words. It's funny again. you say threads of reality. Cause this is this that we're talking about. It's, it's something I actually sort of avoid talking about in videos and like publicly because it sounds so enticing and it's, there's nothing yeah. your mind can do with this. Like you can seek it, but that's not gonna, that's not it. Um, but it's quite real and it's, um, I, I've called it the fabric of reality. That's the best like terminology I've come up with for it. It's like a fabric of reality sort of. Yeah. Um, but it's even before overt reality. It's, it's like fundamental even to reality coming into being. It's neither something nor nothing. It's neither real nor unreal. It has way too much, I could say potentiality or flexibility or unhindered, um, essence to to be encompassed by any of those terminologies mind frames or even physical confirmations you know but you've seen usually once non-dual realization is clear there is no physical confirmation anyway there is no physicality there's nothing actually in form no distance no time or space but sometimes it's much more amplified i would say experientially in cases like yeah. this there's a, there's a card that wrote itself and it says, this is the tide. And hmm. upon going through these note cards that just somehow it just feels really, really close. Yeah. It's like a tide. It's just like this, a dance. Yeah. yeah. No, no control, no, no manipulation, no interpretation. Yeah. Just kind of. And so when you're talking about it takes form or whatever it chooses to do in that way, it's, it's really clear that there's, there's nothing or anyone here that has anything to do with that. Yeah. And so, um, you know, part of the conversation I thought would be interesting is I think there might be a way to, to take this to a level that could be applied for people. Um, just in terms of a sense of agency, even because it became really clear that all agency is associated with this reflective form of past, this yeah. sense of time. That's right. Yeah, no time. Like you, you can almost think about this logically, and that's one entry point is no time. Then how does doership even work? Like how does how does the sense of agency even come into being? You can't actually think about being a doer or doing without thinking about time. It's like I've said this before, like try to have a thought about this exact moment right now. Like, what does that even do? Right. Hopefully it stops the mind if, if done right. But, right. <laughs> you know, it's like um, so. So time is an interesting one. Like I said, it is a really interesting subject to me because I think there are a lot of entry points and a lot of good deconstructive sort of koans about it. And sometimes it's just the right one has to hit the right person at the right time. And I, I get a lot of comments like that, like that one thing you said, man, that, I don't know why, but that worked that time. You know, it didn't work the last hundred times I heard it, but and, and time is like that because like our thoughts are drenched with time. Our sense of self is drenched with time, ultimately. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, there seems to be this aspect of infinite potential 
and how that is somehow associated with this idea of memory. Like <clears throat> the thing that kind of comes up is memory is absolutely conceptual. <laughs> There's no way around it. It's pure concept. It's the equivalent of imagining something in the future in, in our traditional sense of time. And yeah. while working with some people, I, I kind of posed that, that it, how do you know memory is actually real? How do you know? And it seems to start to kind of break up because it always leads to them having a sense of agency around their experience. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, the memory thing is, is, is quite something because it's a, it's a good entry point. Like, okay, well, who are you, right? Who are you? How, how do you know who you are really? If you, if you really just kind of take a very simple and direct conventional approach, most people would probably start stating facts. And those facts are always about a memory. They have to be a memory, right? Yeah. You know, because if you had tr true amnesia, like total amnesia, who are you? The answer is like, I don't know. I don't uh, actually know, <laughs> you know. But if you ever see somebody with amnesia or anterograde amnesia, they're quite present. They're quite, they're quite relaxed most of the time. You don't need memory in the way you th it seems like you do, you know. Um, but you, but clearly that person with no memory whatsoever didn't just cease to exist in whatever way they seemed to be existing before, right? Because you don't engage a memory in a moment, do you cease to exist suddenly? So by looking at this, usually you can, a, a person can kind of go, oh, yeah, okay, I see what you mean. So whatever my identity is, whatever I'm experiencing right now, um, it's really independent of memories. I can have a memory or not have a memory right now. doesn't change anything. I think another good entry point with this is mm -hmm. to really just make the, the, the blunt statement, there is no past. And if you think there's a past, show it to me right now. Like I can right. show you my right. hand moving. There's a hand moving, or apparently there's a there's a symbolic experience that we would agree on as a hand moving, but I can't sh I can't make you suddenly see the past. Like yeah, you can't piece beam your you can't beam your body into the past. Like you've never seen the past. What makes you think there's one there? There's you know, and the more you think about that, and the more your mind just stops, and the more you become present, you realize, oh wow, okay, of course there's no actual past mm. any more than there's an actual future. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the statement someone brought up along those lines today was nothing ever happened. Yeah. It's kind of the same, right? Nothing has occurred before this. Yeah. There is no past. There's no before. Yeah. I'll also say this, <clears throat> you, you, like I, I kind of mentioned before, I think you get this at levels. There's definitely a, an intellectual cognitive level. You can get a big hit of it and it's like, then it's undeniable, but it, it's still, you have the sense of time sometimes. But w when I think, when I think this becomes crystal clear and unmistakable is when the, the, the most fundamental sense of like, I'll just call it continuity. Like literally like something's moving forward in some time span. Like you don't see that here. You don't see that, but you feel it. And the thoughts seem to suggest it all the time. Something's just moving forward just a little bit and into the next moment, into the next moment. When that is seen to be fundamentally actually not what's happening, that this, this is just, a, it's just like appearing, 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 but not in time. It's not like a chain of events. 
And what I think what causes it to seem like a chain of events is it seems like there's something moving from event to event. That's the self structure. When that's hmm. not there, there's just disjoint events, uh, non dualistic events of I mean, event meaning sound, sensation, even a thought. But there's nothing connecting those. They're not in time. They're not propagating. They're not moving. They're not even arising or departing. It's, right. it's so strange, but that's those, the connection between time and self is that intimate. And when they break, it's like, oh, of course. Yeah. Some it's kind a, of simultaneous, like, creation, destruction, emergent, yep. like, temporal, immediate. Yep. You know, when, when you have used the word immediacy, that, that just has a flavor that just seems something that can be easy to translate to other mm -hmm. people. Because anything that's immediate, it's, you, you're right in the midst. It's immersed. Mm -hmm. It's intimate yeah. in that way. Yeah. And immediacy can be challenging for people because they, when, as soon as you think about what's immediate. Yeah. No longer. Yeah. That's why, you know, the, the, the tradition of Zen masters, I think sometimes is just so much fun because they, they can just slap you on the face. You know, when you're <laughs> thinking about like, no, no, that's immediate. You know, that's immediate. <laughs> that a sensation is immediacy. Um, Dogen has a really great term. It says uh, a really great phrase, uh, um, ready is too late. Ah, oh, man. Can you be, yeah. how do you be ready for something? Can you actually be ready for presence? Like there's, there's either presence or there's being ready and being ready has nothing to do with this has to do with all to do with this. Ready yeah, is Cause like there's like finding something the is thought. presupposed. Yeah. Like yeah. there's an anticipation with readiness. Yeah. How can this possibly be anticipated? Yep. That's the mystery. And, you know, so over here where the fun part, the play that just continues to arise and, and the way that comes out in language is, look, the curiosity is, is a great guide for this because once we have a sense of knowledge or knowing, that's the death of curiosity. But curiosity mm -hmm. is in the midst of what is right here, right now, always. Yeah. Yeah. So just remain curious. Like that's actually truest nature speaking all the time. Mm-hmm. You just don't need to know where that lands because yeah. it doesn't land anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the barrier is to finding, uh, uh, recognizing immediately right now, the abject mystery that's in front of your face, like literally not knowing what's the next moment ever and recognizing that's actually the truth. What do you think the barrier is for people? Like, is it, is it just that the, the, it's just too unknown or, I mean, I think, I think there's something emotional there. Um, mm -hmm. like it's, it's just, there, there seems to be some, I don't know if it's natural or inherent, but the unknown is scary as hell. Mm -hmm. And what's so strange about the present moment is it, it is the most unknown mm. like anything. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think at first we, we think the dragon is out here and the unknown is out here. And then eventually that finger turns inward and then we go, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a piece to this that's super important, I think, with. I don't know how important it is. It seems it seems to come with a maturity of this insight and, and, it, and it's connected to the mystery, but it's I'll just call it I'll call it innocence. Mm. And like a lot of times I'll make a reference to, to childhood. Like if you remember me, people, some people had really bad childhoods. Some people had really happy childhoods, but if you think back or you feel back far enough, you'll, you'll remember these times as a child 
where a very mundane experience was deeply both mysterious and intimate and felt completely okay and just right just now. It can be mm -hmm. like walking through a room a certain way, looking at something outside, playing with a toy in the bathtub, feeling the water in the bathtub. You know, there's just, there's total neutrality of the mind because your ego hasn't completely formed yet. And the, the experience of just aliveness, the innocence mm. of it um, was, it held you in a way that like nothing else can hold you. Mm. That Damn. component, it, it doesn't, it's not that it softens the fear of the mystery, it's that it reveals the true nature of mystery. That we've yeah. always been, we've always known. Mm -hmm. Somehow it's so familiar yet so distant. Mm. Yeah. But not really. <laughs> not really. But it seems like it, you know. Angelo, uh, this can... is where you slap me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 well, what you're saying is important, and that is there's a whole level of empathy here with, with you and me before this happened, like my own suffering self from when I was younger in life and, and also every other suffering being in the world. Like I can empathize with that in a big way because the Bind, the binding spell of the mind is powerful. Mm. It doesn't have every trick in the book, but it has an, it has a couple tricks that it's really good at because it's older than both of us. It's been around, I don't know, 500,000 years or something probably. So <laughs> it has a couple tricks and it's really good at them. But once you see through it, once you see through the signature of selfing, essentially, and you learn to mm. really trust, you know, this, uh, things, things can really flip over. Have you noticed with people um, as thought tends to go and, and even associated with this like cause and effect that seems to be here with time. Have you noticed the meta effects of how like resistance can be or judgment or even um, even fear itself? It seems like there's a very deep meta experience with fear that I'm afraid of the fear and then I'm afraid yeah. of that fear. And then I'm afraid yeah. it's like layers and layers and layers and layers. Yeah. Yeah. What have you noticed in that? To me, it's it's like um, it's a very simple and innocent thing that happens. But I think what you're saying is true. And for me, the 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 paradigm of just recognizing the the cognitive mind as reflective in nature, it's trying to reflect something it can't actually reflect. I mean, how are you going to reflect this? But it does its best, and it does a pretty good job, such such that we function, find food, reproduce, and don't get ourselves killed constantly, right? So there's some <laughs> value to that. But it, it is reflective in nature. And then there's another layer of reflection that became self-conscious at some point uh, in human evolution or whatever mm -hmm. that and inside that is a house of mirrors that re those reflections get set up like a standing wave and they become very intense and it's it's it, it's made of resistance because mm -hmm. we we become like there's there's a, a i think it's shakespeare who said for those who are in fear everything rustles like you you look for things to fear you fear not knowing what to fear next. Like it becomes who you are now. Mm. <laughs> that's really tragic, but it's also probably what wakes you up. You know, it's also the, the, the anguish that just, uh, just says, I got to look beyond myself because I sense I'm doing this to myself somehow, or mm. my paradigm is just flawed. Mm. So, um, so, but I agree with you that, that, that there's a, there's a skill that you can learn early on. And I think it really develops even in deep stage realization. And the skill is to recognize when even, even preconceptual as a thought is arising, we'll often have a resistance. We'll often have an aversion to it. 
So the fear is almost like understood. The fear is built into the, the, the way we interact in thought. And at some point you realize like thoughts themselves are actually no problem whatsoever. It's our reaction to them. And it's, it's, just, a, it's just a reaction reacting to itself. It's resistance right. resisting itself because there's, when you see there's no self, it's like, whoosh, it's like, whoop, whoa, whoa, there's nothing <laughs> what, like, you know, there's nothing to hold on to, push or pull on. And then, <laughs> then you really get to the roots of suffering and you can do something about it when there's nothing in the way anymore. Um, but it is, it's a, it's a very interesting mechanism of, it's very meta, like, you know, fear, fearing, fear, resistance, resisting, resistance, um, self judgment, self judging ourselves because we notice we have a self judging thought, you know, it's like. Talk about beating yourself up, you know. Boom, 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 boom. Like this, yeah. like. Yeah. I like I like that um, the slipping pass. It's like two mm -hmm. waves coming in contact, yeah. and where's yeah. the first wave? Where's the, where's the second wave now? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it kind of comes back to immediacy because something that seems to be really clear for most people is if you are able to just at least perceive that there's that thought arising. What is it referencing? Because it's reflecting something. What is mm -hmm. it immediate? And it could be as simple as this. Pick a color. Yellow. Yeah. Okay. There it is. That's immediate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about like the like usage of language? Um, something has come up recently where it's like, instead of saying my thoughts, my mind, encouraging people to kind of put it a little bit off to the side and say the mind, mm -hmm. the thoughts, just the story so that mm -hmm. we're not directly identifying. Do you think that helps at all? Or do you think it's just another game? I think, I think it definitely helps um, to a degree. The, the key is to really watch Like if you're working directly with somebody is really to watch and make sure they're not like just completely reifying that as a, as a, as a mental strategy. Got it. And, you know, sometimes people will even turn that into a way of just judging others, you know, like, and, that, and that's not really helpful. Like, so the you mind is judging seeing, you. Yeah, you know, um, the, the non-duality <laughs> police, they get online, they're like, you're not enlightened, you said I, you know, stuff like that. It's like, okay, then it's probably not really landing right. But but I think, I think it'd be very helpful, specifically when someone says, oh, I thought this today, and then I thought that, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Did you think that? Or was the thought there that said, I think this? Or is there a thought there right now that says, I think this? That could be really helpful if, in real time as you kind of, got a sense into like how much people can take. Some people can't be pushed that hard right away. And sometimes mm -hmm. people want to be pushed really hard. Um, yeah. This is teaching stuff, but I've actually asked people several times, um, like how hard do you want me to push you? Like on a scale from 10, one to 10. And it's usually in situations where it's like, someone will say, I really want to let go. I'm, I've been doing this for years. And, but, but then they say something that kind of says, but don't, but this is the one thing I don't want to talk about. You know, mm -hmm. I, it just comes through like, but don't, but this isn't, it's not that, no, it's not about that, but, but I, I will do anything, you know, but I don't want to address that one thing, you know? And I'm like, how hard do you want me to push you? Like, how honest do you want me to be? You know, because sometimes that's what they need to hear is like, the one thing you don't want to look at is really the, the, it has enough gravity and polarity to it that it's keeping you slingshotting back into your mind constantly instead of just stopping altogether, which is what some part of you wants to do and knows, knows it can. Yeah. So. What, what could there possibly be worthy of not addressing? Yeah. It seems like that's where identity wants to linger anyway, is yeah. underneath the things that we're uh, resisting slash avoiding. I mean, it's really the same kind of action. This yeah. efforting against. It's interesting. 
It's yeah, like hide and seek, hide and seek, hide and seek. Yeah. <laughs> hide something and, here, the thing, and then seek something else over there. <laughs> right. And yeah. it, it, it seems like just a perpetual distraction measure. Yeah. Just keep you caught up, keep your attention caught up in content instead of what is direct. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The, que the questions that come up for me, um, like in the relative sense, like I, I've said to people and, and people ask, you know, in, in the spiritual journey of the, the seeming individual, there will be a final end to that. Like it, it just comes to an end because the, 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 the same seeking individual comes to an end. But it doesn't mean that the whole realization process comes to an end. In fact, beyond that, it's, it's a kind of a new beginning because beyond that, it's a matter of how subtle, how much more subtlety can you perceive with suffering and how it plays out in everyone you come in contact with? Because what else is there to do anymore than address that, right? In one at one mm -hmm. level or another, that may be through art, may not be through any direct interaction. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, what, what I what I what I always try to look at is like how can I sort of reach more, um, or or just reach down deeper into suffering, meaning. You know, some people are just have so much self-doubt. They've been traumatized again and again, physically, sexually, emotionally, all of it. Mm. And then, you know, they grow up that way. And then they then in their adult life, they re-traumatize themselves and other people do it for them. And, you know, all, all these things happen and mental illness plays in. It just makes it all very challenging. Um, and yet there's something in me at the heart level that knows this is available for anyone. It doesn't matter what your past is, how much suffering you've had. It is available, but it's like, what activation energy does that person need to get up over that hump of self-doubt? That's, mm. that's the key to this. I think it really is, you know, yeah. I've tried with the book and with the videos, I try to, I try to not target a specific audience, like nothing political, nothing, all that right. stuff, because, because no one is left out of this. Like, um, you know, I've seen so many different classes of people, types of people, ages of people, gender, all of it wake up. Um, so, so part of it is just not giving subconscious um, uh, cues as to who can and can't wake up because I don't, I really don't want to do that. And the other thing I try to, the other component is I try to really reinforce because I know it's the case that I don't have the formula for you to wake up. No one does. Rupert Spirit doesn't. Buddha didn't. You know, they have clues. They have really good clues, some of them, right? But you really, really do have the formula for your own salvation, every individual. And it's a little different for everyone in the sense that it's coming through the, the seeming perspective of the seeming individual. So I, I really try to reinforce that, you know, and anything else, like I'm always open, like how else can I reach, you hmm. know, that suffering person because there are so many of them. <laughs> That's where my heart is with this stuff, to be honest. Yeah, it sounds a lot like meeting people exactly where they are, right? Um, which I know can be challenging in a venue where it's kind of, you know, here's a book, here's a video. And I've, I've had some people ask me questions. Well, what did Angelo mean by this? I'm like, if you're caught up in a dilemma of what did he mean or what did he not mean, then maybe it's not for you. Come a little closer to home because mm -hmm. it's not intended to create some sort of confusion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think underneath it, everyone realizes that just based on the venue, you can't be speaking to each person individually. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you really are doing something that is reaching a much broader audience. And of course, like going a, a political angle anyway, it would just be, you know, pandering to more identity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, 
take this person's example, you know, my example, um, this is clearly available for everyone. I mean, this was so completely spontaneous and still to this day makes no sense at all. It's if, if it can happen for this bald man right here, there is no one that doesn't have access to this. There is yeah. no one. And sometimes it shows up through intense suffering. And I think that almost becomes one of those things where you can't avoid the pain anymore if it's that intense. And that will show you something. It'll become yeah. so one-sided that where's the reference now? Hmm. What can be making reference to this? And it does seem like a lot of people sit in avoidance and resistance and they don't actually know what pain is. And I don't mean that in a, in a <clears throat> judgmental way, but it seems like people know what they, or they think they know what pain is mm -hmm. and they sit in that for almost their whole life. But to actually get to know it for what it truly is, there's something miraculous that seems to be right there the whole time. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. like the last vestige of where, you know, where the boogers are hiding. Yeah. Yeah. I ask myself these questions too. And just like working with different people, what, what is the barrier for some people that the others seem to, to, to just get over or get past somehow? And, you know, self-doubt maybe is a little general term for it, but there's something about, um, if, if above all else you want to fit in with humans, that's a really, um, that's a really binding uh, perspective, actually, I find. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to be a rebel, but the, but the people who go through this often have some rebellious streak to them, or they just, they just always felt like, uh, I don't quite fit in somehow or something. You know, I just, I can get along with people. I can do all the things, but something about just going along and trying to fit in because actually trying to fit in, actually just trying to plug yourself into the social, social matrix and, and not make waves and get along and stuff. Um, it requires a lot of mind identification. It requires a lot of assumptions. It requires you to overlook a lot of emotion that you're feeling about in those situations. Um, so maybe that, that would be a piece of advice for somebody who's just like kind of stuck, stuck with this. It seems like would be, mm. you know, really look at the cost of, of living that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and it, it, you know, it has the safety of the known sort of, it's the, it's the known because it's the agreed upon by the mass of mind identified people. So in one way it is the known, but it's, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a fragile and brittle state of consciousness. It requires so much delusion to maintain itself. So pain body management is very interesting to me. Oh, this for stuff sure. Is fascinating. You know, it's, um, the word that comes up a lot is familiarity and hmm. the metaphor that arises is, um, a woman that's in a physically abusive relationship, she has a chance to get out. And she often returns to that relationship because the identity prefers what is familiar. There's mm. something predictable. It's, it remains known somehow. And I think that yeah. shows up culturally too, right? If I fit in, this is predictable. And even if it requires some sort of authentic sacrifice, I'm sacrificing yeah. some truth here, it's worth the cost. And I think your question is perfect. Is it worth the yeah. cost? Yeah. Yeah. Can you even see the cost? Yeah. Kind of a nice place to start looking. Yeah. You know, I have such a reverence for life itself because it, it often it will sort this out for people, not always through the best means and sometimes through the worst means in the relative sense, you know, tragedies and so forth, illnesses, 
but mm -hmm. boy, so many people I know who became interested in this, this possibility became interested because of a loss of a spouse or a divorce that was a surprise to them or, you know, physical illness. Um, so life has a life is the great disruptor, you know, and so so I, I often will try to say like, when these things happen, they're going to happen to all of us in one form or another. Um, you know, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but um, man, take that opportunity. Okay, well, well, if that's if that's if that marriage lasting the rest of my life in the way I was sort of imagining it, if that's not accurate. What else about this may not be so accurate, you know? Mm. And why am I suffering so much? You know, like that kind of thing, like acknowledge your suffering, see that the ways that we really try to hold reality together requires a lot of effort, a lot of overlooking a lot of stuff inside of us. And it doesn't really work. <laughs> you know, once the, you see that the ball starts rolling, you know, the manager is fired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're yeah. not doing a great, you're not doing that. Yeah. really. That I like how job. Paul Hederman always says, I, I'm not management material. <laughs> I realized that wasn't <laughs> management material. <laughs> Yeah. I think I think that was a really kind way to put it because um, it's it's similar to it's like I I am aware that you are feeling pain is something that is said here and um, there's a part of me that's like good but it's not the part of me that wishes that you felt it it's just that you do anyway and now you're aware because mm -hmm. how much of your life have you spent avoiding or denying that it's been there yeah yeah. Yeah, but but you said it much nicer than than no, that. I forgot what I said as I was listening to you because that's really that's really accurate. Something about I wouldn't wish it on anyone, and it, you know that's yeah. absolutely true. We wouldn't you wish know. tragedy on someone, but no. But when it does occur, inevitably, um, don't forget, you know, that this this is life showing you something in a way that you may not have been able to see it before because of fear or limitation of the mind or scope of your view or whatever it is. And, and I should say of all of this that we're talking about, it can sound like, you know, it's your fault or something, but even that not a true at all. It's, this is all no. conditioned stuff. It's like, yeah. it's, in, it's inherited from our parents and their parents and their parents. It just goes on and on and on, you know? Um, and a lot of these are like surviving strategies that may, mm -hmm. may have actually served some kind of purpose at some point in life. Yeah. And Absolutely. now, now because it's held on to so, you know, hard, um, mm -hmm. it's causing actually more pain than it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the metaphor of like the intellect is like, a, or the identity structure is like a rake, you know, when you're gathering leaves, it can be really good at gathering leaves. But when you go in the kitchen, might be a good idea to put down the rake. <laughs> right. You know, totally. Yeah. And, and we, I think that's part of that familiarity too. Well, this works, it'll always work. And that, that's that sense of permanence that seems to come along with belief, you know, mm -hmm. like this thing happened then and something in me said, it will always be this way. And it has always been this way. Mm -hmm. It's like holding on to this vestige of something that has absolutely vanished. Nothing is even remotely real about that and attempting to apply it to this, which is emergent, just spontaneous. And mm. Obviously, it doesn't really work out very well. <laughs> <clears throat> it's interesting. Um, you know, and, and just to be clear, the laughter is just always here. It's not laughing at <laughs> any of anyone who's watching the video, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, there's just, it's just, everything becomes kind of funny. 
Mm. And I know you've been doing a lot of improv and how wonderful, like that, isn't that such a perfect microcosm of just how life seems to be in general, just like this moment? It totally is. Improv has been hilarious for me because like the reason I started doing it is because I realized, well, I don't know what I realized, but I, when I learned about improv with the, the way it works is I was like, well, I'm already doing that. I just, I'm just using the same story every day because people expect me to be Angelo tomorrow, you know, but there's nothing, there's nothing that makes me be this, you know? Um, and so then I did improv and I, I really thought it was so much fun, but there are some interesting challenges to improv because I think some people, um, some people pick that. Well, two things. One is I think they picture what they're doing a lot and that's really hard for me to do now. It's hard for me to imagine really like overtly. So I have to kind of like, almost like remind myself, okay, this is what I think we're, we're miming right now or something. Um, sometimes it's like that. And then the other thing is interesting is some people who are really funny at improv, they're good at getting into drama really fast. Like they'll just immediately be in this argument with their brother, like on stage and like <laughs> this emotional thing. I really have trouble with that because I'm just not like that. And I don't, it's been so long since I've had that kind of dramatic, intense, emotional stuff that I, it's hard for me to like even imagine it. I don't watch it on TV either. So, um, but mm. it's fun to watch when people do it because it's so like, it just comes out of nowhere and it's about the most absurd situation because improv is always kind of absurd. Uh, it's fun. It's a, it's a fun, fun art form. You know, a lot of people um, have mentioned that they've decided to take up improv. So I think just your mentioning of it is, is probably really, you know, useful for people because <laughs> you have to discover something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if you're in your head, you know how that goes. Well, yeah. or you've probably seen it anyway. <laughs> it's, yep. it's pretty, yeah. pretty intense. You'll have to come do it with us. Yeah, yeah. That last invitation, I dropped the ball. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, this, that'll be next Tuesday. And then I yeah. look again, and I'm like, oh, that was. <laughs> yeah, that we'll was just have to put a, like a small group together to do it ourselves, too, here and there. Oh, for be sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I I just think the nature of it, the nature of play, I mean, in, in, in your experience um, or the experience that seems to be emerging, what what is play? What does it seem to be? To me, it feels like everything is at play. Everything is already at play. And you could almost use it as a bit of a tuning fork. Like hmm. you, you'll feel it in the body if you're getting too serious or like, you know, stressing about some way something's going to go or whatever, just in the relative sense. Um, but the tuning fork is just like, just look at, look at an animal, like, like what they do. Like, look at how they move. Look at how the leaf dances on the tree. Like it's so spontaneous and, and just, in some sense, completely meaningless. And yet there's so much significance in the meaninglessness. <laughs> so again, paradox, but it, I think, I think nature shows us that like, um, even, even animals, you know, practicing to hunt or whatever, it's, it's so empty. It's so empty, you know, it's, it's play. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, um, yeah. What do you think? I mean, this is, that's your, that's your, uh, that was one of the first things you said to me after this like shift in identity is you said everything is play. And I think you already knew that, but you said you, you kind of picked that up at a deeper level. Yeah. I mean, the, the way you put it, I think was perfect. Nature itself it just really demonstrates it to such a perfect degree. You know, um, the, as things became more obvious, like closer here and there was less of a reaching out to find anything or, to um, pander toward any kind of experience. It was really obvious that, you know, the cat 
and when when the cat cosmic is wiggling his butt and going in for the attack there was something so delightful and empty is a great way it's light it's weightless in that energy and it was yeah. like simultaneously being experienced here in some energetic form just just the witnessing and i was it was just remarkable i was like wait i i, I am the cat mm. i'm clearly that cat it seems to be like the common thread of whatever seems to exist between living things and possibly and likely the things that we see as inanimate it um it is just all play it's it's the transition it's the unpredictability it's the uh well what are you gonna do with that you know mm -hmm. yeah right exactly Ooh, something new you know <laughs> yeah there is yeah. a curious nature to it and um and it also feels like there's a vibrational frequency all the time that feels a lot like belly laughter mm. yeah <laughs> just like a yeah. like a very heavy laugh like just mm. you know one of those belly laughs that that really gets you <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, that that was maybe when when this initial shift happened for me all those years ago. That was probably the most remarkable thing about it. There was a lot of remarkable things, but that was probably the most remarkable is how light and simple and innocent everything was, and it was funny. I laughed a lot. Like I saw, I mean, this is such a simple thing, but I think maybe a couple of days after it happened, I was driving and I saw this bumper sticker that said, "What if the hokey pokey really is what it's all about." And I was laughing so hard at that. I just kept laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. And because I'm like, but it is, it, it is. So that's the funny thing, you know, like any, every, any one thing is what all this is about. And none of it's mm. heavy and none of it matters. And I've stressed about things for so long. This other thing that kept going through my mind was like a, a line from the Bible that said, have you suffered so many things in vain? You know, it was mm. like, so such a refreshing thing to realize suffering is not necessary. Like I had thought it was so necessary without even knowing I thought it was necessary, forced myself to suffer. And wow, mm. just to, to see like, that's just not part of the deal. It's just yeah. not part of it. It's not part of I life. I find an aspect of negotiation happening all the time. And it's remarkable how people seem to want to keep um, suffering on the table as part of what must, what is required. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know suffering's part of it. So that's an automatic yeah. And now let's negotiate with the rest of life. And it's just like, wait, question that. And this yeah. is the beautiful thing about non-duality. What you said earlier about this rebellious spirit, the nature of this is skepticism. Yeah. Skepticism with our own direct experience. Question it at all. Is this even true? There's yeah. something beautiful in that because that mm. naturally leads us right back to curiosity. Mm. Well, how do I yeah. know? How do I know suffering is required? memory yeah it's always been this way oh well does that mean it will always continue to be this way yeah and the best answer i always get is i don't know Ooh, mm. nice yeah. stay there it's a good that's a good answer yeah i don't know is a good answer yeah or or even what what is, i like to sometimes sometimes it just depends i think on the, the the flow of the conversation but sometimes zooming into something as close as you can get just keep closer and closer and close like okay well if you think there's suffering or emotional, I won't, maybe I won't say suffering. That, that's a, um, that's a, often an imputed word onto a, a, the personal experience people often have of emotional pain. I'm in pain. I'm in emotional pain. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah let's accept the fact that, that that perception is here right now. Let's look at where it is. Let's, let's go right to it. Like, where is it in the body? Where do you feel it? Where else do you feel it in the body? Can you zoom in even closer? What is that feeling actually made out of? 
even if you don't need to, I don't want you to give me words, but just keep going like closer and closer inward, inward. Um, and so frequent people will just be like, I just can't even find it anymore. Like, Oh my God. It's like, it was here a minute ago. Where'd it go? You know? <laughs> and it's like, well, it, it doesn't mean it's never going to come back, but doesn't that tell you something? The fact that, you know, what seems so real a moment ago when you were telling yourself and me a story about it, um, you, when you get really close to it, when you really examine it with heart, with curiosity, as you said, with, with complete acceptance of this being what there is to do right now, all of a sudden it does not look anything like it did. It doesn't feel anything like it did. And now you can't even find it. Right. That's like really interesting. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, well, it's really immediate too, mm -hmm. because the closer you get, there's, how are you going to be able to fill space with more thoughts? Yeah. You're immersed in it now. Mm. Yeah. I love that. You know, um, the, there's somebody I've been working with and there's been this kind of gentle practice of the first thing is the only thing is everything and not mm. a piece of everything. It is everything. And that sounds really, really similar to like that zooming in because then we're not attempting to displace attention to whatever seems to be showing up here yeah. with thought or whatever else it's right in the midst. And, yeah. um, I like it. I like the zooming in. It's like, yeah, find the individual fractal now, find mm. the fractal of that fractal. Yeah. Yeah. Just follow where the exploration leads, but that's a really good way of saying it is the first thing is the only thing. Is that what you said? And then it's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because, the first thing, the first thing, that's where you're already at, whatever that is, you're there. Okay. Give yourself permission not to go beyond there. Mm. Not, mm. I mean, that's so beautiful. <laughs> that's so perfect. So much play so, there. Yeah. You know, Do you, losing preference. Yeah. 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 The preference thing is interesting too, because if you ask somebody, do you believe your preferences? The question will probably land something like, well, I like, I know I like chocolate pudding. I know I don't like tapioca pudding or something. Um, but so it would sound like you're asking, is it true that you do or don't like this more than that? But that's not, that's not really the, the, the view that you can challenge at the most fundamental level with that. The real view is, do you actually have a preference at all? That's a very different question actually. And it's, they're not the same thing. Well, if you assume you have a preference all the time, then you're always going to be picking and choosing. But if you actually go back and go, wait a minute, do I really, do I want to have preferences in life? Do I need to have preferences? Do I actually have preferences? What does that mean? You know, or is it always an afterthought? And then it becomes mm -hmm. an identity that you talk about with other people to feel special, like whatever it is, you know, um, there's so many good questions. That, that's perfect because it really ties in with any sense of agency and how that becomes reflective. <clears throat> so the metaphor that arose was imagine a feather on a branch of a tree and a gentle breeze blows it to the branch of another tree. From a distance, we could say, oh, the breeze blew that feather from this tree to the other tree. Now, if we were to give that feather a sense of self and a sense of reflective thought, once that feather lands on that other branch, it's going to say, look what I just did mm. in reflection. Look what I just did. And I'll know I'm why gonna, I did it. I'm going to put this in a memory and I'm yeah. going to use this for any future anything to mm. refer to. 
Yeah. But I mean, it's very much the same thing. It has some sense of time. The only agency that can ever occur is in reflection. Mm, yeah. It's also a social um, currency or social habit to talk about doership because now that feather can talk about to its friends, like how many trees have you been to? You ever, uh, how, how far yeah. do you know how to jump from tree to tree? You know, that kind of thing. Or, <laughs> oh man, it's, it's going to make you feel sorry for it because it was on a better tree before. And now it's, I oh, <laughs> went to the wrong tree and I can't get back to my tree. Um, there's a, there's a sociologist, I can't think of his name, who actually believes that agency is not a personal phenomenon. It's a group phenomenon. It has hmm. to do with, the way we evolved to talk about planning things and doing things in groups. Uh, and so mm. it's, a, it's sort of an overlay on top of our sense of self, even that mm. when we think about agency, we almost always think in terms of talking to other people about it, or we are talking to other people about it. But if you just huh. think about it, you know, just inside yourself, it's not super important, really. It doesn't have to play in that strongly. You just, you might just imagine something and then you'll move toward it or something. But to, to think in terms of like, I did this and this is how hard I worked at it. And this is why I did it. And that's like something that's an internal reflection of external communication, probably. That, this mm -hmm. is his theory, but. That's uh, kind of brilliant, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, that seems accurate because mm -hmm. this is, a lot of this is collective. Yeah. Social. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, think about when it comes to identity, something that seems really clear is there's different identities for different social interactions, it seems. Mm -hmm. And then there's a fundamental identity, that really deep one that seems mm -hmm. to be kind of oriented around shame or some kind of lacking. But, you know, there's the family identity. Oh, I'm I fawn here with these yeah. people. I'm I'm the pushover. And then there's yeah. the work identity. I'm the boss. So people do what I say here. You know, it's like. Yeah these little fractals or pieces that seem to be kind of taking place in different social circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I found the same thing. It's, that was one of the things that over time became really interesting to watch, but, and I didn't, hadn't never noticed it before is that different identity structures or patterns express in different sets of conditions. Uh, and, and the same person you'll see it and it looks seamless to that person. Like, you know, they're, they're just going along. They're totally fine. And then all of a sudden they're mad at something, you know, and to them, it all made sense. The story put it all together. But it was just a matter of expressing different experiences and different conditions, you know, um, identity is a really fascinating thing. It's a really it's a, interesting illusion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it, like the, the thing that makes us want to seek and go get something over there, the, uh, mm. It really does seem to often point, though, that this right here, whatever this is, just isn't good enough. Mm, yeah. And and because of that, it needs to be protected. It's fragile. Yeah. It can't be with this as it is, because if it yeah. if it is with this as it is, something bad's going to happen because it's yeah. a mystery. It's unknown. Yeah. And danger only lurks in the unknown. Yeah. It's another belief that shows up. Danger only. Yeah. It, yeah. That's really good. Like, so we want to protect it, but at the same time, shame is like, but don't look at it closely. Cause if you look right. at it closely, you realize there's nothing there. So there's nothing to protect <laughs> and the whole game's over. So it really has to play this very delicate balance of like seeking, but not really introspecting in a very direct way, you know, but just keep right. seeking, keep, you know, yeah. Don't look too close. Yeah. 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 The, um, uh, the mystery. Hmm find it interesting. Um, something, something that has come up a lot recently, and I think this is a really, really good basic question is when it comes to letting go, 
how would you describe that to people? Because it seems tricky. It seems like letting go becomes an intellectualized process yeah. and it leads to a lot more thoughts for a lot of people. How would yeah. you describe it? That's an awesome question, actually. So, so I think if you just, if you take letting go and put it through the filter of the identified mind, it's probably going to pick, it's probably going to do something like, um, pushing things away. It's probably, it's, it's more of the same. Like we, we already have an avoidance set up a, a sense of, um, avoidance set up in our perceptual experience, literally like pulling back into a subject, everything's out there, a little bit of fear of life, a little bit of fear of everything, you know, always on alert. So it's a little bit of an avoidant tone. When you say let go, it almost feels like, oh yeah, I mean, I could push it away so far that it's just gone. You know, that that's an extreme version of it, but it does happen for some people who tend to disassociate in various ways. But mm -hmm. um, also there's that, and there's also that letting go feels like a doing. What I'm going to say, the way I'm going to say it right now, at least, is letting go, like if you just scrap those paradigms and, you, and letting go means letting go of the way you think things need to be right now. And so you want to move toward anything that's prominent in your experience right now and just keep mm. doing that. So if a mm. thought is prominent in your experience, move directly toward it until it just mm. dilates out into consciousness or who knows what. You know, and if this something feels like it's pulling you down here, just go right down into that. What is it? What is it? What is it? Just down in, you know, feeling, 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 immersion. Um, wherever something pulls attention, just let your attention naturally move toward it, flow into it, become it, absorb. Don't stand back. Don't evaluate. Don't hesitate. Give yourself the, the permission to do the one thing you haven't done for so long, which is just move toward everything effortlessly and fluidly and know that you have the intuition to do this. You know how to do this. That's my answer for the moment. Perfect. <laughs> it is a letting go. So instead of letting go out of reality or out of your life or out of whatever, you're letting go into it. You're, you're, it's a trust fall. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's a fall that doesn't have a bottom. Mm. Yeah. But maybe it does, you know, temporarily for that yeah. person's experience. But I, I really like that letting go into reality. That's mm, yeah, that's juicy. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> my uh, my Zen teacher had this really great story he told me once. We were in Doksan at a, at a Zen retreat, you know. So it's always in Doksan, everything's always so you know alive, you know, because you've been meditating and it's like the one human interaction you have. And so you go in and talk, and it's very intuitive and intimate stuff. But he was saying, um, he was talking about letting go, basically. And he said, he's like, yeah, it, it's hard for me to talk about it. So I, I usually make analogies. So he, was he told me this great story. He said, so when, when I was, you know, this is like in the, I think it's probably the late 60s or early 70s. Um, he, he's like, you know, myself and my partner, I don't know if it's his wife or whatever, but he's like, we, we were on a road trip in our like, you know, our VW microbus, a couple hippies. We had our little daughter with us. And we were driving all night and we were trying to get to this place or whatever. And he said, just as the sun was coming up, we went through this part of, um, of the country and we looked out and there was this unimaginably gorgeous lake, which is beautiful or pond. It was a beautiful pond. The sun was just starting to come up over. And he said, it was just the most picturesque thing. We were just awestruck. So we pulled the van over and we got out like sleepy eyed and we we're just staring at this. And they said, my daughter got it, woke up. She just like kind of rustled her little head, looked around. She jumped out of the van. She looked down and, and she, he goes, she just literally ran straight all the way down the meadow and just jumped right in the water. That was it. She didn't, she didn't say anything. She just, she just jumped right in. It was so beautiful. Mm. And uh, he said, that's, mm. that's the kind of, that's the kind of surrender we're talking about in Zen. 
Wow. Yeah, no brakes. Yeah. Nobody's pumping the brakes there. Heart of a child. <laughs> and you know, you know beauty when you see it. <laughs> this is kind of a beautiful segue to this like piece that seems to be really common. It's almost like this Benjamin Button experience for a lot of people where they start having these recollections and memories of being younger, maybe even dreams sometimes about being in a house they grew up in. <clears throat> and there seems to be something there, that heart of the child piece where it's like truest nature it is innocent. It is, <laughs> it is us at our youngest before whatever seemed to be causing of the rupture or mm. the shift where the one needs to be protected. And that's, that, that's also that playful nature. It is natural. It is, it's unquestioned. There was no question for her as she ran to that lake and jumped in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's an absolute wonder available. The moment we open our eyes, you know, I, 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 I don't, I used to do delivery. I used to do vaginal deliveries, you know, catch babies when I was a family medicine resident, but I haven't done that in 10 years, but I do get to do C-sections. So, um, so, you know, once a week or something, I'm, I'm doing the anesthetic for a C-section. As soon as baby comes out, we bring baby around, sits on mom's chest, dad and mom and everybody. And I always take the family pictures cause I love doing it, but I, I love just looking at the baby and they are just, they're wide open, complete wonder. They're just staring. Yeah. They're just in complete, absolute wonder. That's, that's mm. available. That's like available, you know, to any person. Um, there's a, there's a sensation that feels like it's going to want to just bust out in tears when, when you say that, cause it, it, it's so that's, mm. that's it. Yeah. You know, Avalon, when she was born, um, that was exactly the experience. I remember holding her and it was just like, I was awestruck by her being awestruck. And it was just like this, like, ah, and I'm like, mm. okay, there, this is it. This is yeah. all there is. Mm. Yeah. What else is there? Yeah. Before, before the apparatus that we have to question before the apparatus that's, that could label anything before the apparatus that says I'm here and that's there before any of those filters even begin, it's like just full on. Um, man, that's something else. Hmm. what a gift to be alive absolutely it's a it's an interesting thing too it's a little bittersweet because i i look at the baby and then i you know naturally i'll kind of wonder just a bit like you know in a year and a half this is this little being is going to form a sense of very rudimentary sense of self you know in three four years it's going to start to you know, you know develop a little more sense of self and sense a theory of mind it's going to know what other people are thinking assume it knows what other people are thinking it's going to grow up it's going to start to suffer you know maybe it'll wake up late who knows like what's going to happen to this little being um and yet that that absolute wonder underneath all of it is never going to go anywhere it's always going to be there tony parsons has this beautiful thing i've heard him say where he says your true nature sits on your shoulder and just watches you look around for your true nature <laughs> it's perfect, perfect. because the, the only question that ever really comes up in that regard is, does this need any help? Mm. Yeah, right. Does it? It's like, you know, if, if you've ever cooked and you've had, sometimes it's a young person that wants to be really helpful. I'll carry the eggs, I'll do all this. And as you're turning around and you got the hot pan, and if there's too much help, it, it, it becomes almost obstruction, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That seems to be the nature of the, 
the identity itself. It, it, yeah. it wants to help something that doesn't need any help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> like, like it's okay. Yeah. Did you did you go through any like mourning of identity at all throughout what you've gone through in awakening? I mean, I remember a lot of grief for sure, but it was very it felt very undifferentiated grief. Hmm. Um. <laughs> it, it, yeah, there wasn't a personal mourning at all. I don't think there wasn't really because it was just so completely gone. What there hmm. was though was almost like a maybe in the relative, a, a wish, not a wish, but like seeing how actually in some very strange and twisted way, how easy it is, how much easier it is to fit in when you just are completely asleep. <laughs> you uh, just you yeah. just fit in the whole dream of things. You, things work so well. With this, mm -hmm. it was like, like having to learn a whole new way to live in a sense, but with no framework. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's so hard to talk about it. I would never have traded it for the world. Of course, I would never trade it for anything. Um, would never want to go back to that world I lived in before. Um, mm, yeah. It's so mysterious. So, so difficult to talk about it. And I, I wasn't, I'm, I'm sure I've said this to you. I wasn't inclined to talk about it at all for many years. And I didn't mm -hmm. I think I had a, a sense that like, you know, it's very interesting when it, when it first happened, there were, there were definitely past life experiences like very clearly. And there was this knowing the most prominent knowing going through it was I've lived this over and over and over. And this lifetime, I'm going to look at, or you're going to look at the, the, the suffering in a more precise way than you ever have. So it can be related to people that, that was a knowing at that point. It was really interesting because I'd never had any kind of intuition like that in my life before that, nothing, mm -hmm. but this was so clear, clearer than anything I had ever called my life. Um, energetically, very interesting. <laughs> so there, there was kind maybe there was like some, habituated resistance. Oh, sorry, my phone. Oh, there we go. I'm upside down. <laughs> this is a past life right here. This this, this is, is not this lifetime. It's a, it's a parallel life. <laughs> so everything in this world is the same, except Angelo's upside down, but everything else is the same in this world. This is my favorite multiverse, actually. I'll just try to stay like this for a while. Because the hair stays perfectly intact, even though there seems to be a reversal of gravity. <laughs> Raise the floor, raise the floor. <laughs> raise the floor. <clears throat> Brilliant. Doing a handstand. <laughs> the best the part is... It, YMC, it's, it's the YMCA for possums. Oh, what is... Yeah. <laughs> Hang upside down. <laughs> That's a perfect metaphor. Somebody told me that an armadillo is basically, basically a possum with armor. And so I always let them know, be a possum, not an armadillo. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. I love it. Uh, brilliant. Man, I really appreciate you taking time and, and, you know, I know we've had this aspect of conversation, but um, I know that there's really nothing that you've done, but there is something about the way that you just be that really it, it is helpful for so many people. Mm. It's strange. It's, 
you, you don't have to speak a word. It's there's a presence that is just it's felt. And that is what really seemed to sent me over the edge. You know, I, I didn't know you upon first meeting you. I could have had a lot of intellectual like fear around, you know, where am I going? What's going on? And it was just instant comfort. And there, there was something there that allowed something to just continue letting go. So hmm. just whatever that insight was, it's, it's real. It's legit. Yeah. And you, you really are helping people. So we well, all appreciate it. It's good to hear. It, it's a very strange thing with that because at some intellectual level or like just because I hear people saying that, I know that's probably accurate. And I wouldn't let myself talk this much about stuff, write books and make videos unless it was seeming to make some transformations for people. But there's no way, you probably have the same experience. There's no way to know in immediacy right here that anything special is happening. Because yeah. as soon as I turn off the video and go stare at the wall or go outside and look at a tree, that's all that's <laughs> happening. You know, it's, all, it's, just, it's just so <clears throat> simple. So I'm, but I'm glad it, it does something. And actually I've been telling people you're the walking red pill. So there's that. <laughs> Truly, like your your directness is, um, I, I don't want to say, I wouldn't say you're overly direct, um, because direct can, can be like a little too incisive or harsh. You have you have, definitely have warmth and support for the emotional um, intensity people are going to go through with this. But you're very precise, mm -hmm. simple. Um, clear, just very clear. That's what I feel when I'm when I'm interacting with you. So this to me Appreciate is just a total pleasure, this kind of conversation. Um, yeah, happy to do it anytime. There's just an unbroken connection here. Um, somehow just like, I don't know, we are the same. Mm, yeah. There's, there's nothing different. It, it's just so clear all the time, you know? Mm. And what is there left to do but play? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I all appreciate right, my friend. it. Yeah, buddy. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you.